Well, we will continue from last week talking about uh, how do we know the Word of God. Uh, last week we covered how do we know it was written accurately in the beginning. Um, and then this week we'll talk about how do we know the Word of God was translated accurately. Um, so if you remember last week we went over uh, how we were given the Word of God, how we know it was written accurately in the beginning. It's because God revealed it. Um, we went over some verses there, but Deuteronomy 29, 29 talks about the things that God has revealed are for us, right? And we looked at how God revealed things. Paul says, according to the revelation of the mystery. Right? Those were things revealed by God to the people that wrote the scriptures. Um, so he revealed it, but also he inspired it. And he inspired the writing down of his words, right? That's what scripture is. It means written word or written words, right? So God inspired this, which is 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And it's profitable for doctrine, correction, uh, instruction in righteousness, reproof. Uh, so we covered inspiration and how God inspired his word. Uh, we looked at different ways God gave his word. Right? Sometimes God wrote with his own finger, like the law. It says God wrote those with his finger. Um, it talks about the word of the Lord came into Isaiah, Jeremiah, like all the prophets. It says the word of the Lord came into John the Baptist. You see the Spirit, the Word of the Lord coming to people. Um, you see times where God says, write this down in a book. So he's telling people things to write down. So these are just different ways that God gave his scriptures to be recorded. Uh, and then we also talked about preservation. Uh, Psalms 12, 6 through 7 says, God's words are pure, and he will preserve them uh, forever. And so God made a promise to preserve his words. And so today, the subject of translation, um, and also another important doctrine that you don't hear people talk about much, is utilization. All right, so what is the, the point if God revealed his word originally, uh, he inspired his word originally, and then he preserved his word? Um, let's say he just preserved it in the originals, but we don't know where they're at. All right, maybe they're still on earth somewhere preserved, but we don't have them, what's the point of that, right? How can we utilize the scripture if we don't know we have the words of God, right? Because you have to have the words of God to be able to use them. Um, and so if you go to 2 Timothy 3.16, the next verse where it talks about inspiration, it says the reason God did that was for a purpose. Second Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All right, so what's the point of having the inspired word of God? Well, the point is so that you can be thoroughly furnished, right, unto all good works. So you have to have the words of God today if you want to be uh, able to utilize them to be Right, a man of God that is thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Right, how can you use the scriptures? How can you profit from them uh, for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness if you don't have them? Right, so you see the purpose. You have to have the preserved word of God today if you're going to be able to use it. Right, otherwise it's pointless. Um, Paul says in First uh, Thessalonians two thirteen, the word of God which worketh effectually in you. Right, so the word of God can't work in you if you don't have it. Right, it's pretty basic. You have to have it for it to work in you. You have to have it to be able to use it. And so God promised to preserve his word, uh, which means we have it today because he wants us to use it. 
Uh, so that's kind of what we're going to be covering uh, today. Uh, but a point kind of uh, going back to last week about preservation, uh, another point to make is that God is faithful and he cannot lie. Uh, Titus 1-2 says that. It says, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So God promised us eternal life and he cannot lie. Uh, Paul's talking about the gospel that he preached. Right? Christ's death resurrection is how we have that eternal life. If you go to Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. It says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So notice it says he is the faithful God. But also notice he keepeth the covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So of course this is speaking to Israel under the law. right? He's going to keep his covenant with them, specifically those in Israel that keep his commandments. Well the question is, how can they keep the commandments if they don't have them? Right? So God, it's necessary for God to preserve his word so that his people and read what the commandments are to keep them so that he can keep the covenant, right? Otherwise, how is he going to keep the covenant? Well, you didn't keep my commandments. We don't know your commandments, right? So it's necessary for him to preserve the law that he gave at Mount Sinai for Israel to keep his commandments. Right? So you see the necessity for preservation is so that it can be utilized, right? Um, otherwise, how can God judge you, right? If he didn't give you the words that he would have you to have. Uh, so we see that the word of God is tied to his promises. There's a few scriptures here. Deuteronomy 12, 28. It says, Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee, with thy children after thee forever, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. So again, dealing with Israel. But he says, If you observe all the words that I command you. So you see that words. It's plural not just word or concepts, which some people say it's the concepts that were preserved. No, it's the words, every single word. So he says you have to keep these so that it may be well with thee forever. Right? So again, you see forever. Not for as long as you have my words, it's forever because he's going to preserve his word. Second uh, Samuel 7.25, God gave a promise to David that he would uh, establish his throne forever. And of course, we see that fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But David says, And now, O Lord God, the word that thou hast spoken concerning thy servant, concerning his house, establish it forever, and do as thou hast said. So again, he's saying, This word that you commanded, establish it forever. Right? And we today can read about the word that God gave to establish David's throne forever. Right? And we can read how Jesus Christ. Uh, fulfilled that. So you see, these promises that God's given, they're tied to His Word. Right? You can read about these promises and cling to them because you have what God said. Psalms 105, verse 8 through 12. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac, 
and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. So again, he remembered his covenant forever. So again, you see that timeline, it's forever that he remembers his covenant. The word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Well, he only gave the law twice, right? Because Moses broke it the first time. So he gave it again. And then he tells Moses, he says, put it in the Ark of the Covenant as a testament, right? That's God preserving his word. That's how he did that. And it says here, he commanded it to a thousand generations. Well, he only gave it to that one generation, right? How did the other thousand generations get it? Through preservation, right? From the scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 36. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, with my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they will teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and will remember their sins no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon, and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof there roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall cease from before, from being a nation before me forever. So you see this promise of the new covenant that God gives. And in verse 36, he says, If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. In these ordinances, I believe, he's talking about the ordinances of the moon, right? In verse 35. He says, Thus saith the Lord, which give the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon, uh, and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves are a roar, the tide. Um, but this is an ordinance that he gave. The sun comes up in the day, the moon and stars come out at night. Right? You have light by day, light by night. He says, If those depart from me, then Israel will cease from being a nation forever. Right? So you see how that's God's promise. Right, the sun and moon still comes up every day. So that means uh, the nation of Israel hasn't ceased being a nation before him. Right? He's still going to keep his covenants to them, is what he's saying here. And that's tied to his word that he gave. Right? Uh, let's see here. Uh, the promise of resurrection is based on the scripture. Right? We just read Titus 1-2, God that cannot lie promised eternal life before the world began. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, the gospel whereby we are saved, Christ's death and resurrection. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Right. So again, there was a mystery of the death and resurrection. We talked about this, but the death and resurrection was prophesied. Right. Paul says he died, was buried, and resurrected according to the scriptures. 
because you can go back to the scriptures and read about Christ's death and resurrection. Right? You can go back to the Old Testament and read about Christ's death and resurrection being prophesied. Uh, just a few of these passages. Psalms 110 verse 1. says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Alright, so the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at thy, my right hand, until I make thy enemies thy footstool. And you see that uh, Christ is sitting at the right hand after he sends up, ascends up to the Father. Isaiah 53, verse 10. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So that is a prophecy of his death, right? He's going to be bruised, put him to grief, an offering for sin. That was his death. But then the last part of this verse, it says, He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Well, if Christ died, how is his days going to be prolonged? Because of resurrection, right? Uh, Jonah one seventeen. You all know the story of Jonah. Hopefully. Jonah one seventeen it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah, he actually dies in the belly of the fish, is what I believe the scripture teaches. And then he was resurrected, right? Spit out. Because I don't think you can live in the belly of a fish. And in Matthew 12, part of the reason I believe that too, is because in Matthew 12, 39 through 40, it says, But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was the three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Alright, so if you say Jonah was alive in there or asleep in there, how is Jesus using Jonah as an example of his death and resurrection? Right, because that's what he's saying here. Was Jesus just asleep in the tomb? He didn't really die. Right, no, he died and he resurrected, which is what happened to Jonah. Right, so the point being, Jonah is a type or a prophecy of Christ's death and resurrection. That's what Jesus says here. A sign uh, will be given you the sign of Jonah the prophet. Uh, Mark 8, 31. It says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days uh, rise again. Right? So this is Jesus uh, telling his disciples that he's going to die and resurrect. Uh, John two nineteen. destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Right, so Jesus is prophesying of his own uh, death and resurrection because verse 20 it says, Then said the Jews forty and six years was this temple in building and wilt thou rear it up in three days but he spake of the temple of his body. Right, so Jesus was prophesying of his death and resurrection. Uh, Luke 24, 44 through 46, Jesus explains to the disciples after the fact 
says, He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Right, so you see the disciples here understood the Scriptures, right? The law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms concerning Christ Jesus. So the point being here, Paul says your death, uh, your gospel is in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. Right? He's saying you can read about Christ's death and resurrection being prophesied happening right in the scriptures. So your very promise of resurrection, the gospel you believe, is tied to the scriptures. So you have to have the right words of God to have the gospel. Right? Uh, so your resurrection is essential uh, to having the word of God correct. 1 Corinthians 15, going back there, uh, it's kind of the same principle for resurrection. Uh, you have to have the words of God today or else your faith is vain. Because what is your faith in if you don't have the right words of God? It's going to be in man's word. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 8, Paul says, Last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. And you drop down to verse 16 through 18, it says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Right? So what you had here in 1 Corinthians, some people were... Uh, not believing in the resurrection. He says if the dead don't rise, then Christ didn't rise. Right? Your faith is in vain. If Christ is still dead today, we have no promise of resurrection. Right? So our faith is vain, it's empty, because we're going to die, and well, that's the end of life. Right? So be merry and happy, is what he says, uh, if that was the case. So the same thing for the scriptures. If you don't have the right scriptures today, how can you know the true words of God? Right? Your gospel is tied to the scriptures. And that's where you understand it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, so the point being here is God is faithful and he cannot lie. He promised to preserve his word. He promised resurrection. You read about how you get resurrection from the word. Right? They're tied together. Um, so it should be clear that God promised to preserve his words, but how do we know the translators translated it correctly? Um, some just believe, they say that God uh, uh, preserved his word in the original languages. Right? And so we have good translations today. That's what they'll say. So they believe he preserved it in Greek and Hebrew, but he can't preserve it in English or Spanish or any other language. Uh, those are just translations. Uh, we believe we can have them preserved perfectly in our language by faith. So I said last week, uh, the answer to this question is by faith. Right? You have to have faith that God preserved his word in the original languages and in another language uh, through translation. So a point to make here, first of all, for translation, is who created the languages? Well, God did. Right? So is it difficult for God to have them translated? I would say no. Uh, you read about that in the Tower of Babel. You don't have to turn there. But Genesis 11, 1 through 9, we all know the story where God came down and confounded the languages that they wouldn't understand one another when they talked. Right? Said so they wouldn't build this tower up to heaven. Uh, he wanted them to disperse. But God created the languages. Um, also, you see in the Bible where God translates things. Uh, the Bible was hidden uh, Hebrew and Aramaic in the Old Testament and then Greek in the New Testament. Okay, that's what it was written in. But people didn't always speak in those languages. right? They spoke in a different language, but it was written down in Hebrew. So that's translation happening. right? Um, Exodus 4.10 
What language did the Egyptians speak? They speak Egyptian. So you have here Moses. In verse 10 it says, Moses said unto the Lord, no, I think it's verse 1. Exodus 14. It says, Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither therefore, uh, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servants, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send I pray thee by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And ye shall be thy spokesman unto the people. He shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of a God. So what's happening here is God, this is the story of the burning bush. God's telling Moses, I'm going to send you to free my people. And Moses says, well, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent, right? Uh, and God says, well, I'm going to send you. And Moses is like, well, tell me who you're going to send to speak. So God gets mad. And he's like, I'm sending you. Like, I can be with your tongue, right? So he says, okay, I'll have Aaron, your brother. I know he can speak well, right? He's going to speak for him. So he will be a mouth for you, and you will be a God for him. So God's going to tell Moses what he won't say. Moses will tell Aaron, Aaron will tell the Egyptians or the people, right? Aaron was uh, the spokesman for Moses, who was the spokesman for God. So he says there in verse 16, he will be a mouth unto you, and you will be a God unto him. So what the point I'm trying to make here is people say telephone, right? You ever heard telephone? They say the same thing with copies, right? The copies of the scripture, people write it, they might have missed a word here or there. All right, so we just translate it the best we can. We can't trust that it's 100% accurate. Well, God says here, I'm going to tell you what to say, Moses, and then you're going to tell Aaron, and then Aaron's going to tell the people. That's three different people right, changing before the message gets out. So how do we know that Aaron said what God really wanted to say? Because he heard it secondhand from Moses. Right? Because God can do that. That's what he says here. Right? I can be with your mouth. I created it. Right? I can be your tongue. I created it. So I thought that was interesting and a good point to make. Uh, Exodus 5 2, it says, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? And know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So, Pharaoh is speaking here. If Pharaoh spoke Egyptian, it was recorded in Hebrew, right, in the Old Testament. So, that would be translation happening in your Bible. Mark 15 34. So, the New Testament was written in Greek. Mark 15, 44, it says, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, so Jesus speaks in Hebrew here, and then it's translated. Right? You have here, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
right, that's translation happening there. It gives you the original language, and it tells you what it means. Right? So you have translation in your Bible. Um, Luke 23, 38. It says, And a superscription also was written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. So they wrote a superscription over uh, Jesus, right, when they crucified him, and they wrote it in three languages. But notice what it says, the script said. It doesn't say, in the Greek it said this, in the Latin it said this, in the Hebrew it said this, because they're three different languages. And when you translate, you can't have it accurately say the same thing. Right? That's the teaching that people teach. Here it says it was written in three languages, and it said, this is the king of the Jews. So all three languages said, this is the king of the Jews, which means you can translate it from one language to another and it say the same thing. Right. So I don't really get the argument where people say when you translate it, you lose the meaning. Here it says it was written in three languages, and it said, this is the king of the Jews. Right. Um, Acts 22, 1 through 2. So again, remember, New Testament was written in Greek. Luke wrote the book of Acts. He's writing it down in Greek. Acts 22, 1, it says, Men and brethren and fathers, hear you my defense, which I make, known, uh, make now unto you. So this is Paul speaking, giving his defense. It says, And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept him more silent. And he saith, I am verily a man which is a Jew born, and he goes on to give his defense, speaking in the Hebrew tongue, it says. So Paul is speaking in the Hebrew tongue, but Luke records it in Greek. So that's translation happening. And then the same thing in 26, 14 of Acts. Uh, Paul speaks in Hebrew, and it's written down in Greek. So you have translation, point being here, you have translation in your Bible. Right? And it doesn't say, like, well, you lose a little bit of meaning here. I'll try to explain it for you. Or it says, this is written in Hebrew, and this is what it said. Right? Uh, and they write it in a different language. Uh, so just to give an appointment, uh, uh, example here, Jesus da Trua. Do you understand what that means? Jesus something? Maybe. Can you utilize that? Is that useful to you? No. No. Right. So what's the point of God? That's Greek, by the way. What's the point of God preserving his word like that? And you can't use it. Right? How can you be perfectly, thir uh, thoroughly furnished in all good works? You can't. Right? Because you can't understand the scripture. Right? Um, what about... Uh, What that might mean? You may see this right on the first word. It means Jesus. You still don't know what that means, right? You still can't utilize it. But guess what? That's two different languages, and they say the exact same thing. So I just translated the word of God into a different language, but it says the same thing. So if you understand this language, you know what God's word says. If you understand this language, you know what God's word says. Is that P L what? P L U E R A. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Is it French? Write it in Spanish. I'm like you. 
I could definitely use your hands.
the vision that he was given, right? The things that he saw. And then it says in verse 3, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So again, if you don't have those words, you're not going to be blessed, because it says, Blessed is he that hears these words, um, and keeps those things which are written therein. You're not going to be blessed, and you're not going to be able to keep the things written therein if you don't have the things written therein. It's pretty basic. It's necessary for God to preserve his word, for you to be able to keep it, right? For him to be able to bless you if you're under the covenant, like Israel is. Um, for you to be able to trust in the gospel of your salvation, right? You have to know what that gospel is, right? Paul says it's according to the scriptures. So you have to have the preserved word of God if you want to be saved, trust the right gospel. If you're Israel under covenant, if you want to be blessed and know what you need to do, the commandments you need to keep, right? You can see how it's necessary for God to preserve his word for this. Right, utilization for you to be able to use it, for it to be uh, effectual to you. Um, very few, if any, know how to read Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek today. Right. Um, so again, how can we utilize the words of God if we can't understand them? Right. They're lost. They're lost in old languages. So nobody really knows uh, what God said if God can't have His word translated. Right. Which hopefully that was a simple uh, example, but. I think a pretty good one, right? You can understand it in four different languages. Uh, or can understand it in your language, right? When they say the same thing. Uh, but God says to study his word so that you can be a faithful workman. So again, utilization. You have to study the word to be a faithful workman, right? That's 2 Timothy 2.15. If we don't have access to the words of God today, or if we can't understand them because they're in an old language, then how can we accurately utilize them, Right? And then how can God judge us for our service when our service is according to the word of God? Right? God says uh, his word was inspired for doctrine, reproof, correction, uh, instruction, and righteousness that you may be thoroughly furnished into all good works. Right? You are a workman unto God. Those good works you learn from the scripture. And if you don't have the accurate scripture and God's going to judge you for your service that we talked about last week at the judgment seat of Christ, how can he righteously do that if you don't have his word? Right? Because you can say, well, God, I did what I thought you said to do, but you didn't give me what you said to do because you didn't preserve your word. Right? So again, it's necessary for God to preserve his word. Right? And then he can hold you accountable for what you did with that. Right? Um, we'll cover this. Uh, you've heard the, some people too say you lose some of the meaning in the uh, originals. Right? There's deeper meanings. There, you got to understand what they mean in Greek, Hebrew. Uh, one that you hear a lot is love. Right? There's phileo and there's agape. Phileo is like brotherly love, and agape is unconditional love. Right? So if you turn, turn to John 21, this is the example that you usually hear on this. In John 21, in the Greek... John 21, 15 through 18. Uh, this is where Jesus asked uh, Peter three times, lovest thou me? Right, he says, lovest thou me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, right, if you love me. And so they say the first two times he asked, phileo me, right, in the Greek, lovest thou me like a brother? And then the third time they say it's agape, right? And he says, lovest thou me unconditionally? Right, is what they say there. Uh, but notice 
uh, it says, he saith unto him, in verse 17, he saith unto him the third time. Well, if that's agape love, and agape love is different than phileo love, wouldn't it be he saith unto him the first time? Agape me? If he said phileo the first two? You see the point I'm making? What if Greek love, phileo agape, is translated love in English and can mean the same thing, right? You just have to read the context, maybe, of it. Uh, we use love in different ways in English, just like they maybe did in Greek, right? I just love state, right? It's different than I love my wife, right? <laughs> right? But it's the same word. Her. That's, that's the same word. Right? <laughs> but he says, he said unto him the third time, love is without me. So he's asking the same question three times. There's no different, deeper meaning here. Right, you can read in the context what he's saying. Okay. Uh, so that's just something that people say a lot, but it says he saith unto him the third time. Love is about me. Right. He said, Love is thou me. Three times. He said more the first two times. But the point here is that he said, Love us thou me three times. Um, and the second time he just said love us about me he just said more than these the first time but the point being he said it three times right. to the point they say phileo phileo agape and then they say that's two different things and you lose meaning in the English but here it says he said it three times love us about me right uh, so we will stop there because it's almost 11 but any thoughts or questions on that